How are you, Aidy? Hello, International Mav. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Well, I am recovered now from the fact of being time zone in another place. And I didn't seem to get jet lagged at all. I mean, it's quite a long journey. Good. Um, but um, I just think I was um, I was more travel tired than jet lagged, which is quite good. Um, but yeah. I think I was only about six yeah, really good. difference. Um, so yes, that, you would have been. Was, that was all. That was all fine. That makes it easier, doesn't it? And having never left the continent of Europe before, um, I I feel this is a this is a bit of a change for me. Um, I'm dying to hear about it and what you thought about it and the things that you've brought back with you. Well, my maybe f- physically and also intellectually. Yeah. Well, I, I, absolutely. And what have you been up to in the meantime? Oh my goodness. Um, everything and nothing really. You know how it is. So I went to Vienna for a business trip. Yes. Which was most excellent, beautiful city. Definitely go to it. I got to go and have a look at I didn't get to go in, but I went to go and have a look at the Spanish riding school. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of the hub of classical training in Europe. Well, not kind of, it is. So yeah. it's a very important building. They were closed. I was there a bit late because the, the unfortunate thing about traveling for business is that you sort of turn up go oh there's a city then you go into an office and offices are just the same wherever you are yes. I don't care what you say um and, and you have a nice time and you get the work done and that's fine but then it's just kind of the evening and we did we went out to some restaurants and and got to enjoy things a bit but it was really lovely because I I work for a completely remote company so right. my colleagues and I have been in all manner of very, very stressful situations together. We might have been up until 3 a.m. on deployments and have really been to the wall together, but have not necessarily hugged. Yes. So yes. it was really, really nice to be in a space with some people that I have um, that I feel I know really well and, and, and would go to the ends of the earth for, but haven't necessarily been with. So really, really cool. And then something else happened. I can't remember. So no, so some evolutions on the home front. So we are now on the move. Yeah, excellent. Yep. At the end of, well, I was about to say this month, but it, it's soon to be next month, isn't it? At the end of November. Yeah. We are up sixing. We found a little TARDIS bungalow um, to to have a sort of the first, well, what would you call it? The first home, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to try that out a little way down the valley. So not quite as remote as I am up here, but still nicely in the countryside. I am preparing to take a break from my teaching work. So I'm kind of retiring for a bit. I I would just like some time to, oh, it's such a cliche, focus on myself. But I want some time to focus on myself. (laughs) Things don't become cliches unless they're not actually a bit true. Well, that's also right, yeah. And the trouble with a commitment like the teaching, it's not your job, but it can be your life outside your right. job unless you're careful. Yeah, sure. And that kind of happens. And I just noticed, you know, a few things have stood by the wayside and with the move and, and work becoming more pressurised and wanting to do cool things like this podcast. I just thought, right. I'm going to knock that on the head for a while. So, yeah, I've been kind of wrapping up all the clinics and and, and getting busy for the next phase, really. And studying's come back. My degree started again for this year. So, yeah, 
busy enough busy enough but that's enough of that um oh no before I tell you before I tell you about before you tell me rather about America I want to tell you a funny story to do with changing phases because of course now the clocks have gone yes back or whichever way it is that we lose the hour so of course it's pitch black and it feels like 8 p.m from about half past four or whenever it is um so I took the dog for the first nighttime walk today for six months or so because I've forgotten how to do it because you forget how to do it don't you in those endless days of sunlight in the summer yes excuse that bumping around it's the dog scratching his back under the table in my very exclusive studio so I got my little head torch on and was feeling very accomplished and then got out into the woods and discovered that the torch makes the dog's eyes glow orange Ah! oh brilliant so it was like being followed around the woods by a chupacabra or something. And then, even more horrifying, I discovered that it makes sheep's eyes glow green. Ah! So I locked torchlight with these sheep's eyes, and then the sheep stood up in front of me. And my soul left my body ah! for a moment <laughs> before I realised what it was. You know, Knowing that there were sheep in that film, I thought, oh my God, there is so much to recommend Summer that we just yeah. take for granted. It, it's funny, I remember that from coming home from usually boozy nights out and I walked the last quarter of a mile always walked the last quarter of a mile unless I was getting a lift home in a four by four which didn't often happen in those days sure so um I always used to think I'm in the dark then my eyes get used to the dark but then I would normally start wandering towards the sheep and then right. I would see their eerie looking eyes glinting at me. And I, I'm thinking, yeah, there's sheep there. I'm not going to be phased. But um, yeah, no, it, 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 it's interesting you say about being spooked in a wood because last night I, I started to listen to a, uh, to watch a film, which is a relatively new film with some good performances in. I'm not going to name it because it seems unfair, but the continuity on it was so atrocious. Right? Oh, really? It was about a woman who'd had a trauma in London and came to the countryside. So, of course, we know what the countryside is going to be full of. The countryside is going to be full of grotesques because it always is, right? Yes. But but so I, when I knew that, I'd kind of um, factored in the grotesques. And I'd all I thought, okay, so I am watching a film which regards me as Frankenstein's monster, but yes. I, I'll still go with that anyway. Yeah, and, sure. Because Frankenstein what? was the victim. Well, the so monster she, was the victim. Yeah, so she walked up to this big house in the Cotswolds and there were apples on the tree and she took an apple and, um, you know, obviously leaden, leaden Garden of Eden symbolism, you know, honestly, the British symbolism police were out in force on that <laughs> one. However, I'm thinking, okay, leaden symbolism, but we all we all are guilty of a bit of leaden symbolism now and again. Well, like you say, a good cliche. Then, um, about half an hour later, in in the time of the film, not in the amount of time it had taken me to watch it, thank God, she went for a walk and she was walking through um, a field where there were bluebells. And I was thinking, yeah, but she picked that apple, which is September, September to October, and she's now in the woods, which is April till May, well, she might have got some amnesia. There could have been a time lapse. Maybe it was a very long walk. Yeah, well, it, it, it clearly was because then there was an aerial shot of the whole village where the arable crops had not been harvested. So we're talking August. And I, I, wrong, in, the end, in the end, I thought, right, you know what? And I gave this three quarters of an hour of my life, but 
in the end, I I, I ended up um, tweeting in a rather tetchy way. Just Google bluebells if you don't know. You know, if you don't know, if you've never been Amazing. in bluebells, so you so you've no experience of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can either phone a friend who has lived in a place where there isn't any concrete, or you could just Google blooming bluebells. So that just was... Google bluebells. The information's literally all out there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You don't need to make a film where good actors are sweating their guts out to try and make a, a, a decent thing. Um, I did look on Rotten Tomatoes. And I wasn't the only person who had realized. Fair enough. But isn't it interesting what is a leap of information too far? Because details like that. Now, it bothers me in films when you have horses endlessly neighing all the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Neighing every time they rear up because they just don't. But that film could also have a fire-breathing dragon in it and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you've got people with, like, mind powers, levitation, and it's those little things, I think, that tie us back to aspects of real life that can sometimes just be the straw that breaks the camel's back like well that horse would never make that noise well uh, funny enough i'm like that about children's behavior because <laughs> i see children in in works of fiction yeah particularly relatively modern works of fiction who behave in such an atrocious way right that the parents would be unable to cope with this for 48 hours right and when it's a feature, oh, you know, Dolores is having a hard time because her little chap is behaving like a maniac. That's kind of okay. But when it's two children come out of a normal primary school behaving like the the childish equivalent of a till of a hun, <laughs> no, most children would come out and say, hello, mommy. They do. We've got time to go to the cafe. That's- they do. That's you know anyway, but that's yeah no uh, that that's that. So this was this was my spooky wood thing because she ended up of course encountering something spooky in the wood, and I'm thinking there's nothing so spooky in this wood as those damn bluebells, those sets. Yeah, because they just shouldn't be there. You've yeah. been abducted by aliens and taken back a few months. That's what you should really be worrying about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, America. America. Um. Well. Obviously, I went there to my brother's memorial service and it was actually a really, really good thing to have done because obviously there were people there from all bits of his American life, business colleagues, friends, etc., etc. And it was obvious to me that he had lived the life that he wanted to live and had had a really good life. And that was a lovely, lovely thing. Um, Yeah. And... um, you know, there was a there was a colleague of his who used to do the um the, the um brickwork on the on the Rupert sites when Rupert was a carpenter and um they used to they used to fill a boat full of beer and go out to the islands and he said I could often hear your sister in law's voice booming across the bay. We know where you are. We've got boats too. We'll come and get you. <laughs> Uh, and it was it was all just it was all just really really good fun and um, it it was true to him which was the the best thing, but That's the really good. interesting part for me or the very interesting part, um, my niece has got some lovely cousins, who because they used to see my brother at Christmas, 
very much feel that he's part of the family, though no blood relation. Right. And they were such a fascinating and interesting bunch of people that I feel like I've met America. Oh, brilliant. They come from different parts of America and they've got different stories to tell and, and everything. I mean, the the one thing they all had in common was they were all really interesting people. Um, right. And they were from, you know, everywhere from California to South Carolina and everywhere pretty well in the middle. So it was so interesting. Um, and so I, you had your imagination expanded there. I have had my imagination expanded. So what's next, Mav? Is it a state-sized book next? Oh, no, I mean, I... I think the thing that I um, realised, though, is um, there's an awful lot of world out there, isn't there? There is. And um, I only stopped for an hour in Iceland, and I sort of feel I quite like to go back there. That looks Oh, like I'd love to go to Iceland. Place. fascinates me. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, it's on my list. I mean, I've been to Norway quite a lot, and I've, I've not seen the Northern Lights yet. That's ah, one of my I... bucket list things is I, I would like to. I saw them out of the window of the aeroplane. Did you really? Yeah, the, the the cabin crew, Icelandic cabin crew, give them their due. They said, we know you're all asleep, but the northern lights are visible through out of the windows. Yeah, you'd want so, to not be asleep pretty quickly then, wouldn't yes, you? Yes. Fantastic. What Although I actually, believe it or not, seen them once before when we were living in Scotland and everyone had been oh, talking gosh. about the fact that they They'd come so low and um, it must have been, um, must have been sort of January time because Amelia was about three months old and she was not sleeping. Well, she wasn't a tricky baby, but she just didn't want to sleep in the middle of the night. Right. So I, I read her unsuitable books, books that I wanted to read myself. Sure. So, we spent nearly a month going through the bonfire of vanities, which isn't really a bedtime story for a young baby, but was quite interesting to read. But but I went I went to the bathroom with one of these nights, and I looked out of the window, and the whole sky was was green. And oh blue. God, that's fantastic! So, yeah, so that that is one of the things that I'd like to go and see. And I know I've yet to go to America. I've got a very dear friend in Michigan, but I I haven't been over yet. Um. I had I had supper with a chap who came from Michigan originally, um, and uh, uh, that was he was uh, he was my niece's uncle on the other side. So right, it was all very jolly. It you have met America. So met last America. time we spoke because we had we had a failed podcast didn't we? because the gods did. of the internet didn't allow us to record last time. No, it was fated not to happen. You, I think, wanted to talk about how we make ourselves understood. Well, interestingly enough. Um, I was thinking this because I flew an Icelandic airline and obviously, therefore, all the safety announcements and so on were in um, Icelandic. And I'd never heard, and I know you you speak Norwegian, don't you? I do. What I felt about, what I felt about Icelandic was, which I don't feel about all languages, by the way, I felt that Icelandic was just out of earshot in the sense it was just beyond comprehension. Yeah. And, and I, I wanted to ask you whether having, you know, spoken Norwegian, whether this is something that you would recognise. It is. That is a feeling that I recognise, um, particularly with Norwegian as well. So which can be very different, but there are some phrases and words which are just so close. Yeah. 
so close to, to the language that's developed on this island. And where the words are not close, quite often the phrasing and the sentiment and how things are expressed yes. are. Yes. Particularly looking back towards older forms of English, because, of course, the languages, they evolve and, and English is probably not divulged. That's not the one I'm looking for. Diverted. I've got gone off yes. kind of a bit more as we've gone along. But certainly some word compositions, like, for example, the old English word for why would yeah. be wherefore. Yes. It's one of the mistakes about Romeo and Juliet, isn't isn't it? Where she goes, wherefore art thou Romeo? She's not asking where he is. She's asking why he is him. Yes. Why yeah. are you Romeo and not, you know, Derek Someone... Smith? If you were Derek yeah. Smith, we wouldn't be having this problem. So, and that's the same in Norwegian. It, it's the word for why is yeah. um, a contraction of the words for where and for. So you can right. really see the link and how things have come down. Yes. And so, yes. yeah, it's it particularly, I mean, I mean, not now because I speak it, but back in those early days of learning, I, I can remember that exactly that feeling that the the understanding was a smidgen yeah. away. Yes. And, and, and it's interesting because one of the things I always think about languages is if you're trying to learn a language um, and you, one of the things you need to be able to tell is when words end and new words begin. Yeah, otherwise, right. Otherwise, your vocabulary is just lost in the soup. You could learn loads of words, but it all turns into one mush unless you can tell where the words end and another so word I can, begins. So I can remember that process as well. And I remember it about Spanish, but less clearly because I, I learned Spanish a longer time ago. But I, I remember it with Norwegian because I, I would listen to any podcast I could find. Right. And I'd listen to it. And, and apart from hello... I'd yeah. be like, huh, okay. And then just you pick out a word yes. in the middle of a sentence. You'd be like, yes, yes, I got it. I know that one. And then there'd be two. And then, of course, after a while, and it, it's a, it's one of those processes that takes a long time and then happens all at once. And then, and then, of course, you can just understand because you get used to that rhythm of listening. But that can also be true within English, can't it, with um, accents that are extremely different? Well, funny enough, when, when 20 odd years ago, when we came back to live in Wales, I was working in a team with um, a brilliant girl from Pembrokeshire who spoke rapid and very demotic Welsh with a strong North Pembrokeshire accent. Amazing. And she is a fantastic communicator uh, to the extent that, you know, she worked, does a lot of work for Radio 4 now and everything. She's, so it's not, it was my ears, not her mouth that was the problem. Then. Sure. And and I went on a on a on a secret campaign because I she wanted to talk to me in Welsh and I wasn't going to say no, we need to back away from this and talk in English, because it wasn't the language either of us wanted to speak to each other in, so why should we sure. do it? And yeah. so what I did was I went through the um S4C back catalogue and I found like farming programmes based in North Pembrokeshire and things, and I, 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 I watched and listened to loads of stuff until I had absolutely it went got, in your head. Got yeah. my ear in. And and although I don't hear her, you know, unfortunately, once a week anymore, um, I hear her broadcasting and I hear people from her part of the world broadcasting or I meet them in other circumstances and it always works fine. So so I suppose that um, that's the first thing about how do you make yourself understood is um, how are you able to 
um, to use use words that the person talking to you can understand. So that's interesting because I have experienced it in, in both the other languages I speak, which is that as a learner, it's easier to understand other learners than yes. it is native speakers. Ah, that's a, because you're tending to come at things, I think, with a view of you are trying to make yourself understood consciously. Yeah. And being understood is a more primary goal than a native yes. speaker who is just saying whatever else they have to say to you. That's 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 interesting. And and I think also um a little sort of aside there, I've just finished uh, a delightful period of time in the run up to our county young farmers I stayed with, which I absolutely bloody love. And yeah. we did we did loads of sketches and um one of them used a word that I would use in Welsh, hoy, meaning arrest. So if I was with my uni friends and we were having a session and I would say, we am hoy one, I, I, I need a rest now. Yeah, right. I need a break. Yeah. And I used in the sketch the word hoy. But the boy who was reading it, who is, what is he, 15, 16? He could not help reading it as ho, as in, as in, you know, niggas and hoes type of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, in a in a kind of rap tone, and we had to change it. We had to literally change the word, not because he didn't know what it meant, because he did, but just because his, if you like, lived experience was when he hears that sound, he hears it in a rap song. Right. And so he, even though it's a different language, he 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 didn't he, he couldn't sell it as a line, and I thought that was that was that was quite interesting. So yeah, so I, the strength of that association was strong enough to override the current situation. Yes, and and mm. the fact that he's good at remembering words and things. So you know, so that was yeah. that was quite interesting. So obviously, the first thing you've got to do is is choose choose the words. Uh, but then I was sort of wondering about this and, and, and what I was wondering is um, and it's to do with language learning in a sense because language learning makes you feel very acute about this if you learn a language and you say something I mean I was saying to my sister the other day that um, I keep confusing two words in Italian ciotola for a bowl and cipolla which is an onion right and she said, I wouldn't worry about this. She yeah. said, because frankly, in the context, it's going to be pretty obvious whether you want an onion or a bowl. Mm. Yeah. If you're throwing up, an onion is no good to you. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, give, give me the thing. No, because when I was um, in Norway, one of the last times that I was there, and I didn't know the word for bridle, which goes on the horse's yeah. head. So I walked around calling it a head saddle for a day. Which yeah. people found very funny, but it also got the job done. Yes. Because it knew well, what it meant. Well, you see, this is this is you you you've heard my Scott my catastrophic failure to speak Scott Gallic story. Have, but I think you should tell everyone else because I really enjoy it. Well, this was where I was at a film festival and I had to do a turn late in the afternoon. And early in the morning I met some really nice people from from um um scots gallic production companies 
And we basically spent all day together. They spoke Gaelic and I spoke what I thought was also Gaelic. And at 4.30 in the afternoon, just before I was to do my turn, very nice chap said, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, he said in English. Um, but just to let you know that speaking Welsh with a Norwegian accent is not at all the same as Gaelic, which is hilarious. the principle that you've adopted all day. And I was going, you know, a good time to tell me that would have been at 11 o'clock when we took that coffee break. And I'd only been talking my mad Norwegian Welsh for an hour. And the thing was, is, they probably quite enjoyed you and they understood the spirit with which you were coming at things. Yes. But but the interesting thing was we kind we kind of could. Well, well, I you obviously have... did because no one at eleven o'clock turned around and said, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah, well, except maybe they just decided it was hilarious, and that's like I was telling you about potentially like, horse announcements and the the horse which I written on my piece of paper. It said the winner of the in hand class was a horse called Onion, so I announced Onion and. Um, Onion was having a hell of a day, won about seven or eight other prizes, um, uh, including the Supreme. And of course, it All turned right. out called Orion. Brilliant. But <laughs> I bet it was Onion in the stable forever after yeah. that, though. Well, <laughs> Who got any stable? But again, again, they came up to me. The owner of Orion came up to me, in fact, just before the Supreme, because obviously they didn't want the Supreme to be misannounced in case he won the Supreme. Um, and they said, you know, we've been loving the vegetable references all day, but our horse is actually called Orion. And I was going, you know, after the first class would have been a great time to tell yeah. me. And they you said, no, that. because we've been giggling about it. And well, that's it, because they find it funny, because there's, there's no real harm. And, and probably just someone had written it down badly or something. You know, yeah, th- yes, someone had written around. And I know, th- I know the guilty party, and I will make him pay. Oh no, because that's how ca- that's how shows are organised like that. So I used to steward the show jumping at the New Forest, and we would have international classes, two star, all the names, Nick Skelton, Neil Whitakers. You yeah. could go on and on. And honestly, the the start list was just like written on the back of our hand. There was yeah. nothing yeah. official or professional. Yes. And I know what some horse names are like as well, where it's kind of just random letters thrown down in the hope that something will stick. Well, so this, I don't think this, you can be blamed for that. This is the same show where there was a terrible tendency a few years ago to call almost all the first pony and children's ponies that uh, that appeared in the in the kind of leading rein and children's pony classes to call them names which which could be read as a pawn name. Oh, suggestive, yeah. Like like Big Boy Mister Thruster. I would never call a first pony Big Boy Mister Thruster. Oh. And. And if Big Boy Mr. Thruster has I'm gonna won, stop laughing. <laughs> if Big Boy Mr. Thruster has won the in hand class, I'm absolutely <laughs> I'm a lost I'm a lost soul at this point. Yeah. And you know, and the, and the horse secretary's coming up and oh. says, switch your microphone off until you get over this. Big and Boy Mr. You... Thruster's first ridden. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Once you've started, <laughs> once you've started um this uh you know th- you can't stop seeing these names then but um but anyway, uh, my, my, anyway. Po- my point about understanding is is um also to do with um i was interested to hear you were talking about your business about working online versus working face to face yes um the two experiences are quite different aren't they 
in terms of the contact that you make with people? So, so I'm I, I might be an anomaly because I don't think they are. Right. Oh well, here's interesting. This is interesting. Yeah, here's interesting. So, as much as it was lovely to be in Vienna with all of my people, yeah, some of whom I've become very close with, yeah, and it was nice to be able to have drinks and things like that. For me, the quality of the interaction was not impacted. Right. I still felt just as close. That the the communication seemed just as the same. Yeah. And I think that that is because in those working relationships that I have, and some of them are now friendships as well, everyone comes at things from a place of openness. Right. I think that where people might sometimes not, then you might have a difference in your quality of interaction. Although you could right. argue that if someone is being duplicitous, you don't have quality of interaction. Right. For me, I don't notice a, a difference well you see this is very interesting because i know we've we've talked about this in other circumstances before yeah you are bold enough and successful to do online dating yeah whereas i and i'm not at all a technophobe but i and and you know Someone could walk into, for example, some sort of social gathering, person I don't know from Adam, and I would go ding dong. So it's not the fact that I only date, you know, people that I've known since I was 15. Um, right. So it's not that at all. It's not a fear of strangers and it's not, it's not, um, it's not a, it's not a failure to tick off a whole load of connections. But it's just, I don't feel that I, I don't feel that I have really met somebody. And it's interesting because I have met you in real life. So I feel I can have a really good conversation with you having met you in real life. I don't know mm. if it would be the same for me, the same level of conversation. If we'd never met in real life, then I think, what quality is missing? Well, the quality then of missing, I guess, is being absolutely hammered on a fourth bottle of red wine at three o'clock in the morning when yes, you should have gone true. to bed six hours ago. True, there's which, that. Which is basically how this podcast started, right? Yes. Because that's what we did. And then we technically did the first podcast yes. until it got light. Yes. Yeah, yes. and it was brilliant. Yeah. So I think I think if you... So here is so there's a distinction there. So I kind of agree with you about the online dating experience. I think because that's like on a screen and just people typing and, and you really can't get a sense of somebody. The people that I'm bonding with and working with at work, we are on video calls with each other. Yeah. And yeah. we have a common thing that we are doing. Yes, of course. Yes. And that, of course, helps. So you get together, you do the common thing. And in the process of that, you then bond and form friendships or just close working relationships because yeah. those are really great as well I, I i agree i found online dating to be horribly awkward i was about to give up right oh that i was about to give up no i was about to give up and then my partner popped up and i thought oh that's a bloody lovely face and and, and then the rest is history so can I, ask I, I i didn't find it easy to do that either can I ask, and I don't want you to say more than you, you know, than you feel comfortable to say. Mm. How quickly did you meet in real life after encountering each other online? 
oh ages he ghosted me for a long time oh right yeah and then came back it's quite a funny thing and I'll hold it over and forever I won't really no there were circumstances and things happening in lives yes so um he went away and I thought oh well that's a shame but you know at that point he was a bloke from the internet right yeah 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 and then uh, it was a couple of months later he popped back up and sort of let me know what had been happening and I was like okay fine look either let's go for a drink this Saturday yeah and in my head, I was thinking, well, if you don't come for a drink, I'm, I'm just not going to message you back anymore because yeah. I think you might be a bit of a messer, actually. I, yeah, right. And then, of course, he wasn't. And now I'm moving in with him. So, yeah. you know, yeah, um, that all worked out really, really well. He was definitely worth finding on the Internet. But yeah, so that one took a long time. But generally, when I was not talking to him and I was talking to other people, I would try and meet up pretty quickly, even if it's just yes. for a coffee. Yes. Because uh, you can only do so many, hi, how was your day, before yeah. you need to have some common ground. You yes. know, so for you and I, we had a person in common. Yes. We'd met up, introduced by that person, then been at a party together. So yeah. we've had some references. Yes. The base two hours yeah. of boozy conversation on absolutely and, and I think that's what absolutely. you need is, is that common reference to give you a starting point and, and then if you've got a starting point between you you can build a meaningful connection and I think that can happen in person or by video call but I'm aware that that is what's true for me that doesn't have to be what's true for anyone else and and if that's not true for you I don't think that's a reflection on anyone either no it, it's interesting though it is interesting because I'm what I'm wondering is I'm firmly of the belief I've had to change the furniture in my mental room so many times in my life to learn about stuff. And um, I'm, I had a meeting on Friday, for example, which is a a meeting about a new project. And um, there were three of us at the meeting. It looked to me like two of us were going to be traveling to where one was in West Wales. Um, he said, no, I'm actually not there. I'm in Mid Wales. So we then said to the third party, are you good to come up to Mid Wales? And he did. And I thought he might have been going to do a bit of filming the third party, but he didn't. And quite rightly, because we hadn't properly planned it. Um, And now I suddenly thought I um, I had a kind of, what's the word? Slightly guilty thought. And I was thinking, if I'd been a bit more proactive about setting up this meeting, we could have possibly done this on Zoom. But then I thought to myself, so so the question I'm asking myself is, is twofold. Would it have worked on Zoom? Possibly not, because it actually turned out to be a recce for the filming he was going to make. And he couldn't do that except by being there. But right. the other thing was, am I... Um, Am I Zoom-averse, right, and therefore putting other people to inconvenience? And So that's made me think a bit about how I make myself understood. I'm assuming I make myself understood better face-to-face, right? Maybe that's not true. Maybe actually I'm okay on Zoom and maybe I should just sort out my mental furniture. That's my question. Yeah, so I th- I think that whether it's going to work on Zoom better or in person better is is down to the audience that's coming, and your best way really to do that and navigate that I think is to ask people. True. So when I when I went to Vienna, one of the things we had three days of requirements workshops. It was really full on, really great, yeah. good fun, lovely sessions. I came away from it though and went, 
that was fantastic but I don't feel like I needed to be there Mm. I feel like we could have got all of that information Mm. remotely Mm. the people that attended Mm. had the perception that we couldn't have done therefore the correct thing is to be there in person right because the more comfortable they feel then you know the more information you're going to get as they become more confident and comfortable with the project team and with the product and all that stuff then they might feel like they can do it online and and they'll be better versed so and, and we'll have to travel a bit less yeah so i think again because communication is I, I think like almost entirely down to perception right and whether you're understood or not so for part of my job which is project based i spend a lot of my day telling people that we can't do what they want us to do Right. Yeah. Either because it's technically not possible or they haven't paid for it or we don't mm. have time mm. or the requirements aren't clear or for whatever reason, yeah. I, I, sp- I spend a lot of time finding nice ways to say no. Right. Now, I would like a pound for every time that I have explained that we can't do it mm. for my customers to turn around and go, oh, great. So we're aligned then and we can carry on. Ah! And f- and then, and then I, I think to myself, how on earth have you listened to all those words that I've just said and come up with that, that they've come to that meeting desperate to hear me say that I can yeah. do it. Yes. Therefore, they are looking at my message and interpreting my message, yes. seeking out glimmers of hope and seeking out what they want from it. Yes. And, and where there might be language and where there might be processes that people don't understand because not everyone is implementing software every day so they don't know how yeah. it works fair yeah where there, there are some things that are maybe outside of people's normal understanding yes they then can come at things from a, a vastly different place from where i am thinking i I've, i could not have been clear about the fact that i'm not going to build a spaceship for you yes yes it's interesting it's interesting isn't it because that, of course, is the difference between listening and hearing, isn't it? Completely. Because you can be listening, but that doesn't mean to say that you've heard anything that yeah. you have, because you've come with your mind so set on obtaining one outcome. Exactly. And this is how we get nuances in language. So I can remember mm. for the first time speaking Norwegian and using the word for a chat rather than the word for to speak. Right. Because yeah. they both mean the same thing, right? If I'm having a chat, I'm speaking. Yeah. But the context around it is entirely different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I mean, I was thinking that I heard a word in Welsh, um, which um, uh, at the weekend, uh, because it was in one of the set pieces in East Everett. Um, in North Wales, they say they call a fool a sledge. My own dip in a I... sledge. Yeah, that's funny. And um, that I thought to myself, yes, yeah, sledge. How would I, if 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 you asked me to describe sledge, I'd say a fool or an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But there's another type of of fool or idiot, which is a cockoin, which is basically a lamb's penis. Yeah, brilliant. And um, I would rather deal with a sledge than a cockoin if I had to. And I was thinking, well, why do I, why am I differentiating between these in my mind? Because and, a sledge is useful and a little cock is not. <laughs> well, I think it's partly because the meanings are different. Both of them are fools, but a sledge is somebody who perhaps lacks information, but if right. you told them what to do, might be able to function. Whereas a cockoin is going to second guess everything that you say. 
They, 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 every cockoy knows someone who knows the best way to do it. And they will quote their friend's methodology all the time. And so I was thinking, no, that's really interesting that you translate both as fool or idiot. Yeah. But they're different types of idiots. But they're different things. But they're different things. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they. Well, it's like if I said to you, Mum, I need to talk to you about the podcast. Yeah. Thinking of God. Whereas if yeah. I said, can we just have a chat about milling the air? That's probably yes. not very serious. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it is really interesting. Um, and I, I mean, I, I'm often um, conscious of having been brought up to always speak quite formally to people, call people Mr. and Mrs. So and so until I was told that I was allowed to call them so-and-so, yeah? Sure. Um, I, I find I do this a bit on emails, and I'm conscious that sometimes people come back, you know, almost saying, is that a frosty tone? Well, it wasn't a frosty tone. It's just, Mr. Miller, I don't know who you are, so I'm not going to call you Jeff, you know? Right. Because... You've contacted me about something, and you've possibly put my both names. I suppose I should perhaps say Jeff Miller then, um, but um, it is it is it is really interesting how we how we choose our words and how um, and, how, and we... how communication convention moves on because it yeah. probably isn't very common now to be Mister Anything on email. I mean, even the ones that are automatic from companies will come through; it'll pull through your first name. Yes, absolutely. So people are used to seeing that kind of thing. I, I suppose that's the equivalent of when wherefore became why. Yes. Yeah. Right. Same yeah. story, different versions. Both are true. To quote Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Yeah. It's and that might come across as frosty. Yeah. It's interesting though because wherefore, um, it's got two concepts in it, hasn't it? It's yes. got. It's got where this happened and for what reason in it. Which, which is how is, you get to why. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is really interesting because basically it's a geographically located why. Yes. Which isn't Yes, if you break down the words, yeah. 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 So there might be a for what reason. But is that evolutionary as well? Is that a throwback yeah. to when, you know, where and what, like physical things happening maybe took precedence over emotional things happening? It, it's like it's like the old um, thing. I know we've probably spoken about this before. Um, Welsh didn't have a word for green until about the 16th or 17th century. Which is hilarious given the colour of it. Yeah, but prior to that, that's all just a shade of blue. Oh, gosh, okay. So, so if you say See, my, that, my artist mum with her colour wheel in her head is going to be jumping up and down with excitement about that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> That's so if, to say. if you say, for example, um, keep off the grass, um, you might say, um, you might use the word tear glass, tear, tear glass, tear glass, tear glass, can't remember. So basically, keep off the blue land. Oh wow! Yeah, and okay. when you look at mountains, you would say um, they're sort of they're, they're sort of bluing, uh, and 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 when you think about that, 
you know that if you got up close to that mountain, it would be either grey, brown or green. It wouldn't be blue if you got close to it. Well, Even I don't know if this glacier ice is blue. True, and slate can be quite blue. Yeah. But, but when you... So I'm thinking about how they differ, how they talked about that. So, so the mountain far away is blue. It's the same mountain. These are the same eyes. So when you yeah. get there, it's still blue, even though you can see it as green. So but... something that fascinates me about colour, and, and I don't know if this is childish of me or not, yeah. is that I know what I associate with the colour green. Yeah. But I have no way of knowing whether that's the same way that you see it. Absolutely. No, that's not childish at all. That is I, I just find it fascinating that how how do I know that my purple is your purple? And we can't know. No, we can't. And, <laughs> and and when we use words like bluey grey, for example, we're talking about a compound. Yeah. My bluey grey might have more grey in it and yours might have more blue. Well, because that's all a spectrum, isn't it? It, it is. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, and 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 so this then comes down to how you describe something, and 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 so in a sense, are we able to objectively describe something, or are we, or do we sort of, do we sort of have an agreed subjectivity that it isn't. Exactly. We know that most cats are not pink. So we would use the word white for even for a cat that showed some pink through its skin. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think you're right. You've hit on something there because with language, really, what we are doing is throwing out concepts and hoping for the best. Yes. Yes, we are. Really at all at all times because... And this is where the legal field gets really interesting because yeah. of all the different ways that things can be interpreted and how contracts yes. are written. And I think that the fact that we have that function as a society shows how actually things are really not clear cut at all. Yeah. And, and yeah. that the sphere yes. of um, interpretation can be yes. way broader than you think. And of course, this is, uh, I mean, I've been listening to lots and lots of podcasts recently about free speech obviously because of current events and so on. Yes. And, you know, the classic liberal view is you can say anything at any, at any time, but there has to be a certain point where you saying that might encourage people to take an action that would physically But then where, where is responsibility, right? Yeah. And that's so actually what I'm going to speak about next time touches on this quite a lot yeah. about where responsibility is particularly against the backdrop of, of mental health issues. Yeah. Um, and, and, but on, on a milder um, yeah. setting, I've got an example for, of this from my professional life in that I, I had a, an incident recently, which is the first time this has ever happened to me professionally, which is that someone made a complaint about me at work. Right. Because they think I shouted at them while right. I was on a call. And that was rude to them. From So we went into meetings and we discussed the situation. I've spoken to her about it. And, and I really believe that she thinks that happened. I don't think she's yeah. trying to lie. No, no. I don't think she's being sneaky. I don't think there's anything like that. It's just that my recollection of the of, of the encounter is yeah. such that I, I could not interpret that the same way right. at all. Yeah. 
at all and, and to be fair th- there was another person on the call who also takes my side who's separate from me so so that's but that's by the by to mm. be fair that's by the by I don't believe I shouted the other person doesn't believe I shouted the person the shouty <laughs> yeah. clearly does yeah she clearly does think that that's happened and she is affected yeah. emotionally by it which is horrible and, and I think that's another point to what you said about making yourself understood is that we can't take responsibility for how someone else is going to perceive what we say and what we do. No. Once words and actions are gone from us, they don't really belong to us anymore based on, in, in some in some realms of thought, right? So it depends on which way you want to look at it. So I could say a sentence, once I've said it, always belongs to me because that's the message that I gave and this is how I intended to give it. Yeah, But once it's out there in the world, people have the freedom to interpret that as they will. And they should also have that freedom because that comes into free speech, right? Because if we are dictating how everything is received, then that's counter to free speech in a way. Yes. And I would also say what that is an example of is what I see, which is a kind of squeezing of the toothpaste tube of of HR. And I'll say to you what I mean by that is... When I uh, sit on an appointments panel, which I do a lot, probably do I recruit 25 people a year, maybe? Um, And what I'm looking for, as well as can the candidate fulfill the job description, I'm also asking myself, how will this person be in the team or the sub-team? Totally, totally. Right? And I think that what happens a lot is that the... HR responsibility to make sure that person will blend in with the culture of that sub-team completely um, has been squeezed down to dealing with the complaints about somebody saying somebody shouted. So actually, we need to go back upstream and say, are we recruiting the right person for this? Do I know what my sub-team is like? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I've been in, in work situations where there were groups of people who were downright toxic. Sure. And if you saw somebody coming in who was nice and competent, but a bit self-effacing, and that you knew that they would they would chop them up for mincemeat, um, you don't, don't put them in that team. Right. I, I know I've said this recently because I've had a, a couple of people in my life that have been looking for jobs and going through that horrible recruitment process, which is just awful. And one of the things I said to them is that, you know, don't worry about being too junior or anything, because whether the people think they can work with you will actually matter more. Yes. Than whether you have more technical skills than X yes. another person, because yes. a person could be the most experienced, the most qualified. But if they're an obnoxious git. Mm. They won't get hired. No, they won't. They won't. Or if they've got, I mean, and I, I won't, I won't detail this because it's, it's an ongoing situation. But I've been close to um, a workplace situation, not where I am employed because obviously I'm self-employed. Um, but I've been close to a workplace situation relatively recently where there's been a lot of issues about um, accusations of inappropriate conduct let's put it like that and to me because the wrong wrong people have been introduced into teams actually and 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 i i yeah 
the people have come in from outside, brought in another culture, yeah, tried to export that culture to a place where it didn't really work for various reasons. And everyone is now running around like headless chickens um, because they say the atmosphere is dreadful, etc., etc. Well, the, the reason for that is because the people, the wrong people are in the team. And, you you know, that's why, especially when you're making a senior appointment, I think you've got to be so careful because the person has to be able to communicate with the people who are in the team already. Unless they're going to be able to dismiss everybody and bring in their own team of 50 people, which is highly unlikely, yeah, they're going to have to work well with the people that they've got already. Right. And equally, I sometimes see people... Yeah. I sometimes see people uh, who I know have joined a team that I know something about, and I think, yeah, why didn't we recruit him five years ago? Because he's obviously the person for this sort of role. The person just fits in immediately. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it, it, it's it's a, but I think you're one hundred percent right that you cannot take. Um, you can't take responsibility in some senses. You, your behavior is reasonable, but it may not seem reasonable to the person who you're speaking to because of issues. Right. And then who, who owns that hurt? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's quite an interesting thing to dissect because in today's culture, I think we have quite a big victimhood sector. Yeah. Yeah. Which is this view that everyone has to protect me from everything. Yes. And that also then conflicts. I mean, I say that, but then that conflicts with my other view, which is that we should all be trying not to be a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I you mean, can't you can't also live your life tiptoeing around everything and apologizing for things that you haven't got wrong yet. I don't no. think that's helpful either. But but I also think, and I I think it's one of the one of the crucial failures of modern parenthood actually um and i blame freud for this um the idea that your childhood has to be an absolute bed of roses or you'll be screwed up for life it's impossible practically not true and it's impossible you and i in different ways are both good examples of that and if on the other hand you look to cultivating habits of resilience so you so you Say to your child, if you really find that you're having trouble with some people at school, yeah, um, switch off your phone. Let's go swimming. Yeah. yeah. So teach them to self-manage their own hurt. You can't ever say to a child, I'm going to, um, you know, you know, the story about, about the Buddha who lived in a life, a life having seen no suffering you know nobody can be brought up like i mean we we attempt to bring up a generation of young buddhas and then of course the young buddha goes out into the street and he sees death and poverty and suffering and he's overwhelmed by all of it oh. yeah and i mean I, I i i i know i've probably told you this story before but i can remember clearly a my mother used to say what does the old song say if i complained about something and she and i'd go grudgingly i beg your pardon i never promised you a rose garden and then on one specific occasion when i was about six i came home 
And she said, how was your day? And I said, uh, wasn't so great. I said, I think a girl, I won't mention her because she's probably grown up to be an absolute pillar of society. She probably never was thinking of doing this anyway, is, is thinking of pushing me over. And my mother laughed. She, my mother thought this as a specimen of human suffering. She thought this was a very weak specimen. So she said, I'm going to ask you to put on a scale from a good day to to thee do we cry, frail children of dust, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. How would you scale your experience with this girl today? Would she be you hadn't here? pushed you over, I'm guessing. She hadn't pushed me over, but I thought right. she was thinking So it was about fear it. that she was going to think it, about it. Okay. Thinking about it. Also, by the way, she was smaller than I was. So, I mean, had she gone for me, I could have. <laughs> so Just batter her. Yeah, no, exactly. So, but that's. um. So my, so my mother was up, actually. encouraging me to say, you know, in a world that's full of human suffering, is this concern? What's, what's really happened? Is this concern of any, any, and I said, well, I'm afraid I think it's much closer towards a really good day. And my mother okay, said, yeah. yes, it is much closer towards a really good day. But I, I wanted to bring this up, actually, because it, with the theme that you've got for today, that that's relevant because I with the making yourself understood thing, I wanted to bring up that we interpret others' behaviour and, yeah. and it, our understanding of other people is impacted by our own internal agenda. And that yes. also means our internal fears and what we're worried about. Yes. So I have had a tendency throughout my life for romantic partnerships, friendships, to interpret behaviour, messages, language against a backdrop of my fear of rejection. Right, right. Which can be crippling. Not less now I've done therapy and I've done the things and I'm, yeah. I'm cracking on into my 30s, so I'm getting the hang of things. Mm. But in the past, has been a lot worse. So that interaction there is an example of that, isn't it? Because you were very, very concerned that someone was going to push you. Yeah. And you overlaid that onto your interpretation of this girl's behaviour. Yes, yes. Did she ever push you? No. I, so she I probably saw, wasn't thinking about it. And I never saw her push anybody else either. Right. This is why I won't blame her. Because, because I think she was an entirely morally blameless person. Yeah. Of course, is one of the chief tenets of cognitive behavioural therapy, isn't it? No yes. mind reading. No mind reading. Not a mind reader. Yeah. And therefore, spending any time whatsoever thinking about what someone else might be thinking about you is an entire waste of time a completely wasteful exercise because anyway even if they are thinking about pushing you over you could never have controlled that yep you could never have controlled that so and devoting your energy to something like that that hasn't happened and, and indulging in that kind of paranoid energy is only ever a sap on yourself and and i mean how often have we put ourselves in a situation where we we sort of build up a carapace of rejection where we send a message to somebody we don't get a message back right classic uh, or we phone someone they don't pick up and i have got a i've got a tendency to say oh this means i must have misjudged my previous interaction with them in some way right and um Rather than um, 
saying, oh, well, that's how it is. Yeah. Sometimes it turns out that the person hadn't rung me. I hadn't rung them anyway, that the call hadn't come through. Or the usual thing is about a couple of hours later, I get a message saying, oh, my phone's been out of signal or out of order or whatever. But the assumption that someone will be always available for you is a bit ridiculous anyway. And so therefore, the, the, the assumption that, that rolls on from that is if they um, had a, hadn't replied to you, that means they reject you. Rubbish, right. you know, it's right. just. Right. And that's that's where the the mind and it's 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 naive, isn't it? And I think it's we we all have a bit of a narcissistic naive side. I think that just yes. lives in everybody. Yes. But the concept that someone always has to be what you want them to be, yeah, is is daft. I think uh, it it definitely has lived in me in the past, and I'm working on it. Yeah. Because it's definitely not true that I am always what other people need. Because I definitely screen my phone calls and there are yeah. certain people in my life and I'm sorry for this, everyone, that I see the name on the phone and I go, oh, Christ. Yeah. And I have to make a call on whether I'm going to be a good person and pick that up or not. Yes. And sometimes I'm not. Yeah, well, exactly. Sometimes exactly. I turn the phone over and I let it go, you know. That's, yes. that's yeah. not greedy, yeah. really, but there we are. Exactly. Or or um, the other thing, the other thing that can happen is... If you're not careful, and I know that women are particularly notorious for this, but I think men do it as well, um, you can effectively fictionalise somebody. Okay. You can turn them into your ideal version of this person, my ideal friend or my ideal lover or whatever. And interact with the potential as opposed to interacting with that individual. Absolutely, absolutely. And... One of the reasons why that's such a rubbish thing to do, I think, is that if you're actually open to the reality of that person, they are probably more glorious and splendid and unusual than you thought. Right. So rather than looking at your cookie cutter version of a friend or a sibling or lover or whatever it is, actually finding out what really matters to them mm. is much more fun because it's it's a journey to a to a new territory rather than just putting someone else to to fill a sentry box you know who's nothing other than the sentry they don't even have you know how in shakespeare plays it says you know it says warden or sentry or guard or something well yeah you want someone who's at least a at least you know old seward or somebody you don't you know ideally macbeth themselves yeah not, not just not just you know somebody who's somebody who whose existence is only described by their function that's probably it yeah, totally. And and adding to that, the idea that actually we're not always the most important thing in someone's day just because we've thought about them. Yes. So it's yes. that very individualistic perspective of I'm ready to call you. Why yeah. aren't you ready to speak to me? Well, it's for example, it's interesting you say this because when I was the first of my friendship group to have children. Right. So I was in a situation where I had sort of three children under five and almost all my contemporaries were, 
working full time. Right. And so for them, the absolute ideal time to ring me was about quarter to six in the evening. Which is the worst time when you're trying to get the worst everything time. Up. And and I in those days, bizarrely enough, we used to think much more about phone bills than we do now. Um and so the thought that somebody was able to be in the office, everyone else had gone home, they could make a private call. That was like right. That was really sort of pre pre millennial. Um, uh, that was the struggle fun. of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was great fun. But um, I, in the end, had to say to to three of my my good friends, "Don't ring me now. I have got somebody to put in a bath. You know, somebody to read a story to, and another meal to make for another yeah. couple." couple of hours so it's all this is the very worst moment um and 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 you know one in fact that's one of the things i really like about about mobile phones is um people who want a decent chat a friend of mine did this morning he said got time for a chat and i could have either said yes or no and you know that that's but otherwise, otherwise, you can be on the phone with somebody and you think, God, I'm not, are they not listening to a word I say? And the, and the fact is, you know, I don't know, they're saving a baby deer from rising flood water. And you don't know that because you're just hearing them not being very responsive. Yes. Yes. And I've been that person and I've been on the receiving end of that where I think maybe you engage in a conversation because you know it's right for the other person, but you don't necessarily have the bandwidth for it. Yes. And also just because someone's brought to you either a problem or a situation or some things that they're thinking about doesn't mean that you have to know what to do with it either. And that can sometimes result in that sort of, um, okay. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, I, I sometimes do this when I'm dealing with somebody who I like, who I regard as a friend, yeah, but I know is likely to say something which will try my patience. Ah, uh, reason, yeah. And normally I'm a relatively patient person, but that is a time when I will call screen because when I will say, "Lulabelle is going to go on and on about this thing that Lulabelle yeah. is currently obsessed with." And if I don't think it's that important and she should just man up and get over it, but that's not really the right friendshipy thing to say, what I have learned to do is to send a message to Lulabelle and say, listen, I'm absolutely madly busy here now. Can I ring you in a couple of hours? And hopefully by that time, I will have dug deep and found a hidden resource of patience. Because all of us are going through our own dramas. Right. You know, the dramas may be more or less important to us. And, and you know, empathy is all about trying to see how it feels for that person. It is. And I think recognising that because it's maybe a bit trivial to us, if that's that person's problem in the moment, yeah, then that feels like their big problem. Absolutely. And the, and the fact that it doesn't, seem maybe it, it, it might seem a little bit superfluous to the other person is irrelevant because yeah. it's not our issue yeah it's their problem yeah. now 
the fact that it might be a bit tiresome to listen to, I think is all okay because empathy is important, but at the same time, losing i don't think we should lose sight of the fact that it's also fine to have your reaction to it yes yes so if they're allowed to be upset you're allowed to be a bit impatient about that yeah yes but if you know they're genuinely upset um oh you don't have to show them that you're impatient yeah, about that yeah but which includes <laughs> includes the includes the condition the general condition um described as locally here as having a bit of a moiver if you know they're going to have a bit of a moiser and you just don't have enough bandwidth is a really good expression. You don't have enough bandwidth for that. Then you don't talk to them at that moment. Right. And I agree with that. I agree with that. And you just say, right, that now's not a good time. No. Yeah. So, totally. and, and that's another, so that's another boundary to, or, 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 or potential, uh, See, boundaries for me are fascinating. Boundaries and understanding, I think, go really hand in hand because it's that really difficult dance between when to enforce them and when maybe to let something go. Yeah. Because a, setting a boundary can also be wielded like a weapon. Yes. yes and this is where, again, the perception is really, really difficult and, and who owns the hurt and who's responsible for what. It can be such a difficult dance in between humans because I feel that everyone has their right to stick to their boundaries. Yeah. But then at what cost? It agreed, agreed. But also in terms of the hurt, I do think that when I was a kid, um, lots of people's mothers, not mine particularly, but but lots of people's mothers used to say the starving children in Africa would be glad to eat it. And this was always sure. considered to be, now it's considered to be a grotesque piece of parenting. I'm not so sure, yeah, um, in the sense that one should be, and I, and I say this not just because it's a moral thing. I don't, I'm not talking about the morality of it. I'm talking about a sort of mental health hygiene thing. Yeah. I think being conscious of one's own favourable situation yes. is a very good way of insulating yourself against hurt. Because if you say to yourself, actually, um, I mean, probably don't be like Virginia Woolf and her sisters when they used to walk into a room and say, we are the most beautiful and interesting women in the most interesting room in the capital of the world at the most interesting possible time. So possibly don't be like that because that makes you need a... Make... Bit crap, actually. Yes, yeah. So don't do not do that whole, you know, we're the most interesting. But you just don't like Virginia Woolf also. No, I don't. I don't. But but but, yeah. but I wouldn't like anyone that, that, that took that... No. But to say to yourself, actually, looking back on the lives that people have lived generally. Mm. Um, I mean, I was listening to um, a podcast and reacting to a TikTok. Uh, somebody saying, I'm working nine to five and I have an hour's commute. I've got so little time left in my life. And he was saying, well, what are your alternatives to this, basically? You know, the only three alternatives he could come up with was be a stay-at-home parent, which is more work, yeah, 
um, become an entrepreneur, which is more work, or try and be self-sufficient and live in the woods, which is more work than any, you know. And so I think we should all look to try and find what suits us. So, for example, I, I've told you I think I'm pretty near un unemployable. Uh, I mean, you can have me in on a contract, but I'm 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 a bit too um, maverick to work in one organisation for a long time. Um, so that's fine. I'm self-employed. So you should know yourself and know what suits you best. But I do think it um, it isn't a bad idea to to be conscious before you start thinking about your own hurt, the hurt that you've received is try and be conscious of that significance, you know, in terms sure. of all the suffering you could be suffering. I, I'm going to put a different spin on it, though. So I've got a slightly different perspective on this kind yeah, of thing. So with that, with with your mum's generation as well, and I can completely get where she's coming from with that there are starving kids in Africa, but it was a different lay of the land for that generation because she, for example, would have had memories of rationing. Yes, true and food True. shortages and things True. being vastly vastly different to what they are today True. now yeah so so these days in this time of plenty i personally wouldn't agree with forcing a child to eat something it didn't like no because i have the luxury of that yeah if we were to go back to a time when there was rationing and i hope we don't no then of course things would be different but then people adapt to things being different and actually if that's all the food the kid will probably eat it and we'll all get on because no one's going to voluntarily starve to death no i, I think as well with your man there on his commute and saying i have so little time for myself because things have been worse for workers in the past yeah. does not mean we can't make them better no. now agreed and agreed. you hear a lot of this you hear a lot of this about people going well in my job we have to work blah, 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 yeah. and i'm a nurse and i work 12 hour shifts it's like yeah and you shouldn't yes because no, we have the resources and the amount of people and the tech now to make every nurse's shift six hours and to pay yeah. them a bit more and funnily enough we'd probably find we had more nurses because it wouldn't be totally fucking awful yes so we I still think... exist in this victorian thing of like i'm, I'm using the medical profession yeah. now that a shift is 12 hours long yeah why? It's not the 1860s. We're not at the Knickerbocker. Yeah, it's, we can it's, change it. It's, it. That's very interesting because this was a conversation I was having in um, uh, in America. My niece is a doctor. And um, I said, which I think is true, the single most important uh, characteristic I would like in an obstetrician if I'm going in to have a baby is that they are well-rested. Right? Do I want them knackered? No. No. Uh, no. And I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I think I think the line to be the line to be I suppose the reason why I'm saying um about looking back to how tough things were before. Sure. Is is to not I mean, C. S. Lewis, of whom, as you know, I am a big fan, um, C. S. Lewis says in Screw Tape Letters, um, if you want to damn somebody you get you need to have them obsessed with the future if they're obsessed with today they will enjoy the pleasures of the world around them they Got will it. be having a good time and they will be not really open to things like jealousy cruelty etc yeah if they're obsessed with the past um you know they 
he he says, well, some widows and some historians fall into this, but it's a very benign. It, it, it probably blocks you from enjoying today as much as you should. Sure. It isn't. And and he says you do not put a baby in a gas chamber for today. You put no. it in a gas chamber for tomorrow. Yes. And, and why? so why I, I would say use the past in a way as a resource is to say to yourself, look, I'm going through this and it isn't great. How could I make it better, which is your point? Um, and I would argue um, in this instance, how would I make it better? If the nine to five where I'm working is crushing me, yeah, then I would say to myself one of two things. Is this entirely the wrong place for me to be working? In other words, I'm not getting anything back. Yeah. And that's a valid question to and ask yourself. That's a valid question. If you're miserable, yeah. Or the second is, if this isn't a personal problem, but this is a structural problem, then I would say workers of the world unite. And Completely. 20 of you go together and talk to the boss and say, the way we're working is terrible. We want to have two days a week from home or whatever it might be. And the the reason why that works is not only we know it works um, because every right we've had has been got through that sort of solidarity, but also because I think there might be, if you were feeling very isolated at your place of work and you were feeling that you were just a pawn being pushed around, etc., there would be nothing more empowering than getting together with 19 people going to talk to the boss no totally so i think you're right i think it's it's about balance isn't it so you can use the past to give yourself context and feel a bit less miserable in the moment but you can use the future to give you hope and to keep striving for better i think it's really good what you say about the workers unite and i think that should be across the board so around the work from home and around the pay rise debate I see a lot of people going, oh, well, I haven't had a pay rise for 10 years, so why should you? And it's like, no, that's not the right way to think. Everyone needs a pay rise, and we start with these people. But then we cascade it down. Because you can't say say minimum wage should be seven quid because teachers only get 35 grand. Mm. No, minimum wage should come up and teachers should get 50 grand because the cost of living has done things. We need to... We need to up the ante for everyone, but yeah. we have to start somewhere. You're not going to do it all in one go. That's just not how it works. But, but and so a... I think we need that kind of joined up thinking as well and less opposition in how we interact with each other. Something else, though, I think that possibly would be useful in the understanding situation. So let's say we're talking about boss and let us call her Q. And she is working in a team with R, who's a chap who thinks that she's worth speaking to him in a brusque and, 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 and slightly inappropriate way. Okay. Nothing will do R's relationship with Q more good, in my opinion, than seeing Q batting for the team in a spending round. Yes. When he hears Q firing on all cylinders saying, my guys need to follow in resources if we're going to, if we're going to achieve what you want us to achieve. Yeah then he will suddenly think, ah, I see that the forcefulness of Q has a function. Because otherwise, I only see her using it to chew my ear. Right. 
And I wish she was more like Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Right. She was a lovely, cuddly hedgehog who did the laundry for everybody, yeah? And put right. the kettle on the fire. No, Tiggywinkle is not available. But that's not going to get your firing, your, your um, not firing round, your funding round done. Exactly. Or exactly. your firing round, actually. Exactly. So that's one of the things I think sometimes about uh, how you understand somebody. You understand somebody when they are operating on different levels and in different roles. So there may be there may be aspects of your personality or your um there may be aspects of your personality. So I mean I work with um people who are good salesmen and people who are bad salesmen. And on Friday I was um in this meeting where one of the people, the youngest person in the room, is a bad salesman, incredibly right. talented, but a very bad salesman of himself. And uh, by the end, the third party was going, I had no idea he'd done all this stuff because he didn't say I've done all this stuff because that's yeah. how he is. However, the, the other side of that is does he work very hard and conscientiously without pushing his own agenda in a team? Yes, he right. does. And right. so, so in the um, close that sale moment, yeah, he needs me to be saying, oh, and by the way, I don't know if you remember last year on the Great British Menu, and they're going, he was involved with the Great British Menu? And I'm going, yeah. What? And, uh, you know, all of this. So in terms of understanding, sometimes we use an appropriate, we use a, mo a mode of communication, which is our natural mode of communication, um, which is actually us. But it, there are circumstances when maybe we need to have somebody batting on our behalf. Yeah. I think we all do sometimes because... We can't be all things to all people all of the time. No. That's just impossible. Strength and, strengths and weaknesses exist. That's yeah. just that. And as we said, understanding and perception plays such a massive role. Because yeah. let's take Q and R. So Q thinks that R is a bit of a brusque bitch. Yeah. But R maybe has three teams that aren't performing. Yes. And R is pretty worried, actually, at keeping all of that headcount. Yeah. Yes, so R is driving for yes. results to try and keep everyone's job, maybe your own. Yes, exactly. So if you understood that, would yes. you see her the same way? No. Yeah. And and the other thing, the other thing is, and I've seen this, I've seen this. Um there are sometimes you sometimes you find yourself in a situation, and I'm thinking particularly of funding rounds, where Two teams are applying for some money or saying we need some extra funding. And it may be that the people that really need the extra funding have to do some damn shroud waving. They have to right. say, unless you give this, people are going to die. Right? right. I've, been, I've been in meetings where this has happened. And suddenly 
We've, everyone puts down their spreadsheets and they take a deep breath. Yeah. And that could be construed as a very rough way to talk. Yeah. But it's actually the truth. Effective. Yeah. yeah? So then the discussion is, yes, but the funding for potholes, potholes has to be squeezed to pay for more money on children's social services. Right. And um, ultimately, you have to make decisions about saying all of these need a fair crack of the whip. And it's really, really annoying when your wheel bearing goes when you go into a pothole. Yes. But it's a different matter. It's a different scale of annoying than the horror of a child dying at their parents hands or being neglected yeah or being neglected sure. to the point that they die you know so so sure. yeah i mean there is there is sometimes sometimes people have to use the register that of 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 communication which might genuinely not be um but then i think that's interesting because uh, when we talk about understanding i think we also have to talk about our understanding of how we come over as people Yes. So another incident that I had recently was where a senior member of staff above me sent me a condescending asshole of a message. Mm. And I replied in kind. Right. And they complained about me as well. Right. And then I got pulled into a call and they said, why'd you do that? And I said, well, here's the message I was sent. And my manager went, oh. Fair yeah. enough. So... Well, that's I, I think a... that's another side of it is where people don't always know exactly how they come over because then I also challenged in person the individual that sent me that message. Yeah. So that landed really appallingly and I'm pretty shocked. Mm. They then came back with an explanation of what they meant, right. which had they gone in with that would have completely changed my response right. Right. because it was totally reasonable. Yeah. I absolutely got it. And I, to this day, have no idea why they didn't lead with that because yeah. I'd have been saying, thank you so much for the heads up instead of why don't you off yes that's you arrogant you mansplaining twat yes yes you know what i mean yes that's a really interesting thing uh, about explaining um mm. and getting that part of being understood correctly because sometimes Sometimes you you can assume that people understand stuff that they don't really understand. Yeah. And then you are assuming that there is what might be described as informed assent to move the whole right. forward. Yeah. When actually there are people who would say, no, I never thought it was going to be that anyway. Right. And you go, well, that's the consequences of what we agreed at the previous meeting. Right. And then you're thinking, well, I assumed we all understood this. And 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 I I tend to, when when I'm in one of those situations where I may have to explain, right, I um I usually make it a, as a joke. Yes. I, I, I almost always say something along the lines of um Look, um, I know this may come across like the Ladybird book of funding. Yeah. But we're on page two. Peter and Jane 
have a project. Yeah. Look, Peter, see the project, says Jane. And then we all start laughing. Yeah. And then a few sentences into that, I managed to smuggle over some things from the Department of State in the Bleeding Obvious. But everyone has heard it without me saying, you do know how things like this are managed, don't you? So it's interesting you say that because I do something a bit similar, but I don't use the Penguin book or the Puffin book <laughs> um, it reference. I actually use, you know, the TV shows, particularly on HBO or Showtime, uh, yeah. will do the previously on Hannibal. Oh, yes. And then you yes. get your little 30-second rundown yes. of what went on last week. And I will use that in meetings as well. I go previously on mm, project. Yes. And then just give a little pre pre to set the scene. And then, of course, yes. you can do similar um, when you recap as well. And then sending out, just sending out the notes because people take on information in different ways. And so a verbal conversation backed up with a written summary yes. will generally cover your bases Yes, with people yes. who who understand it differently. I was on a phone call today and there was an explanation from somebody of something which I thought was great, succinct, yeah. to the point, cool. Someone else went... Oh, that was a lot of information. Have you got that written down? Yes. So that just shows again how the understanding and the processing can be very, very different per individual. And therefore, we can never assume understanding. We can never assume that we've been clear. See, I, you will never catch me, except in a joking way, using the expression info dump. Because huh. as far as I'm concerned, give me all the information that I, I'd rather have. You know, Acres. even if you start off by saying the majority of people working for this organization are bipedal mammals of the of the genus Homo sapiens. Fine. I would far Except rather for the four that identify as cats. Yeah. <laughs> I would far rather you did that than that you made some assumptions about everyone's level of knowledge mm. and you didn't tell any of us that this project was dependent on grant funding that we don't know we're going to get, yeah? So when somebody says after us, girl, that was a bit of an info dump, the only time the only time I don't like an info dump is when I feel that someone's not actually genuinely giving me information, but no. is reluctant, reluctant to pass the conversation on to somebody else. So they're yeah. hogging the limelight yeah. by saying... Oh, and everyone working on this project will be breathing an oxygen-nitrogen mixture. And at this point, I will say, uh, at this point, I will say no shit, Sherlock. Uh, because that's my kind of counter to, to a... But 99 times out of 100, I'm saying bring me your info dump because there's something in there I didn't know and I can move on um, better if I've had that information. Well, that's it completely. And I think, again, with the understanding thing and not making assumptions about anything, you, you also have to slightly allow for the kind of day that someone's had. Are they totally rattled? Have they forgotten everything about this thing? Have they got six tasks? And, and do they just need that 30 seconds of teaching them to suck eggs, to reorientate themselves yes. in yes. the present thing? This is what I'm dealing with shit now it's familiar okay i'm ready to go yes. and i think that that will break down resistance in a person much better than being like all right straight into it and they will be like oh my god i haven't had a wee for five hours yeah. can yes. you just stop yes yeah no i, I ex exactly and 
I would always rather be working in a team that were over-informed rather than under-informed. Totally. For sure. Totally. Um, yeah. As long as, of course, the information is... Um, Probably. It has to be relevant, I think. You know, if, yeah. if you if you come in with Gary from finance, just adopted his seventh kitten, it's like that's nice, but is it really going to help? Yeah, and and I am also uh, an absolute um, mortal enemy to mere assertion, and I, I'm afraid I've you know I've been at times made myself a little bit um, unpopular about this because somebody says. Let's take an example. Children always perform better in new school buildings. I said, that sounds like a mere assertion to me. If you can give me academic studies that prove that, I am more than happy to take that on board. Yeah. However, I have read 30 academic papers on this and they come down 15-15. Right. Um, ethos... Uh, contact with parents, etc., socioeconomic factors are as important as the building, except if the building is really dire, in which case it right. becomes an abstraction. So the number of times I've been in this and people have said, no, 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 that's not true. Children learn better in new buildings. And then I'm going, here's the uh, School of Education bulletin, you know, whatever, whatever. You're wrong. And that is always the very worst situation. Talk about what, what does and doesn't breed understanding. So I'm blaming myself here. Um, if someone is using a mere assertion as a fact, and you then say it's a mere assertion, they are very likely to defend that with their life. Then. Well, they are, because what they're saying is, I want to be in a new building. Yes, and I think that we, as a, as a species, can attribute what's right for us as as what's right for everyone. And I think that this is why, as a as a species, we react so strongly to moral debate. Yeah. For example, you know the way that people react to oh, I don't know, uh, TikToks about people who are trad wives. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, it gets yeah. taken that the fact that this person says, I stay at home and look after my husband and I don't work, means that they think that that's what everybody yes, should do. Yes. And you get that defensiveness instead of like, well, why would you want to do that when you could go out to work? Well, it, that's the right thing for her to do. It's not the right thing for you to be doing. Therefore, yeah. you shouldn't do it. Similarly, again, you can attribute that to um, gay marriage, abortion. Yeah. You know, if if you don't agree with abortion, then you probably shouldn't have one. But that doesn't yeah. mean that you have to control what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Similarly, if you if you disagree with gay marriage, try not to be in a gay relationship. I'm sure everything will be absolutely <laughs> fine. But so so yeah. we do tend to come at our worldview with what's right for us as an individual and not the balanced. But that is, isn't it, the glory of pure old fashioned liberalism, where you say I am going to um, hold to these values um, and I live in this society where I know people don't hold to these values or most people don't or some people don't. Mm. And although you will hear me occasionally, and partly because it just makes people so annoyed and sometimes you just need to want to make people totally annoyed. Um, and and, and, and I, um, I sometimes say, and I usually say it when people are being 
uh, people are approaching a subject with religiosity. Oh That's, gosh, yes, very yeah, difficult. which is not one of my favourite things. No, I sure. very often say, "Oh, don't talk to me about the Reverend Evans." In a well-regulated society, he'd be burning at the stake in the marketplace. Well, yeah, and and, and people are people are going, "What?" But Reverend Evans is the vicar, and I'm going, "Yep, he's not the right brand," and I burn him. So let's just move on. <laughs> and what this does? Oh my God! What this does is, um, it's it it, um, it it gets people um, analysing what the Reverend Evans has said in this context, which right. is judging everyone by his own standards and assuming that his standards are the only set that have any validity. And so, right. in order to do this, I say no. No, don't agree. Evan should burn, right? Because and, it wasn't that the the prior model of Catholicism exactly, and Protestantism at exactly, times. If you exactly. were the wrong band, so, you so could just I'm get on the fire. Is, if we're going back to the days of uniformity, right? I'm afraid to say that Reverend You've Evans. Got the chop pun. That Reverend Evans, um, uh, you know, this fictional Reverend Evans, um, he is a. And, and this this reminds me this reminds me of a conversation I had not long after Brexit. I've probably told you about this, um, because another thing I think about understanding is some people are capable of thought experiments and some people aren't. And yes. if you try a thought experiment on someone who does not do thought experiments, they think you're actually saying what you're saying let's take this as a thought experiment right 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 so right. so i met some people who um after brexit uh, i fell among liberal democrats as the bible nearly says and um basically it was a narrow area and i couldn't avoid them so they had one of these things about you know did you vote remain or leave and so on and I, and would you vote to support a second referendum? And I said, no, I had definitely voted to remain, but no, I was virulently against a second referendum because I said, are you going to refight um, Wilson's first victory? Well, also democratic process. Exactly, exactly. We might not agree with it. It might have been dumb fuckery of the highest order, but it happened. Yeah. The people and, spoke. And, and I think it was about six elections since the war had a, a smaller majority. Right. Right. Certainly there are several elections since the war where the majority was smaller. Right. So so I that's my point is are we going back to unpick Wilson's election victory Wilson's first election? Well then how is any if you set that as a precedent, how is anything ever final? Exactly, exactly. You, so, you can't go for round three, round four on everything. So then I said to them, um I said to them, these are the laws and we all have to abide by them. And they said, no, no, we don't. Uh, um, but then I said, well, I said, um, what are you going to do you, about it? Are you familiar with um, uh, Robert Bolt's masterwork, A Man for All Seasons? And I said, because you will remember that in that, when um, Thomas More's not wanting to sign the thing to say that Catherine Ragan's marriage was invalid, and his son-in-law is saying, why don't we just break the law? And um, Moore says, um, 
laws are the hedges behind which we shelter. And if you start to cut them down, friend Roper, could you stand in the wind that would then blow? And that's what I, mean, I said did, to these... Yeah, I get it. It did eventually die for a divorce, which is also really thick. Yeah, but anyway. But but, but, but anyway. the point about cutting down the laws, if you cut down the laws, are you going to stand in the wind that will then blow? And yeah, and and, and, and they said, well, they just didn't think that some people should have the vote. Oh, well... Oh dear, dear. Hello, Mr. Dictator. That's not well, very I good, said, is well, it? Well, okay. <laughs> what's your What's your basis? And they said they probably thought that that there was not much argument for graduate non graduates to have a vote at all. I said, well, as opposed to maybe oh, wow. only forty shillings worth of land. Oh wow! You know, because uh, anyway. So then I said, let's do a thought experiment. And um, uh-huh. uh, they 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 then looked a little bit worried at me. And I said, let's say, let's say the subject, that the, the, the um, franchise is dependent on you reaching a level of general knowledge. And I'll tell you now, I'll thrash you all at general knowledge, right? Let's say that's the standard. Yeah. So we, we end up with, there's five of us here, and I score 120 out of 140 and the cutoff sure. is 100 and all of you get in the mid 90s so right. i'm now running the state so i'll just tell you you're gonna have to pay taxes and i'll tell you some of the things i'm going to do <laughs> and they said what i said well to start with the nhs needs to be put entirely under the control of the church that'll make it much sure. better Right, I mean, a couple of heads exploded then, didn't they? You couldn't do that. I said I could if I'm the only one voting. Yeah, so if you want to stop that, everyone has to vote, including people you don't think are fit for the vote. Well, because also it, there's an arrogance to that because you not thinking that they're not fit for the vote doesn't make that true. Exactly, it's just your thoughts because you know your plumber probably isn't a graduate, but if your toilet's broken, I bet you're fucking glad to see him. Well, and and I mean, I know I've told you the story again, but but it is worth worth saying. You know, my father had this situation once in his school where he was told to look at the degree certificates of all his teachers, and right. one of them had been in her final term in her degree when her mother got very severe stomach cancer she oh, went home and nursed her mother and didn't graduate right she was the best teacher she'd have 25 years of experience by that time and my father said she was the best teacher that yeah had so what he did just not to be recommended by the way but it's what he did is he told his secretary to go and get a newspaper and um he took all the papers out of his filing cabinet, put them in a cardboard box. He then put the newspaper in the filing cabinet and set fire to it. Right. He then rang the county and said that he'd had, let's call her Mrs. Davis, is that he'd had Mrs. Davis's degree certificate in the filing cabinet and there'd been an inexplicable fire. Oh my goodness. And the point about the point about this was she was the best teacher he had, and you know, so right. so you could be the person who understood more about the Constitution of Britain, but didn't have a degree. Um, right, Tom Fools think. Right, I said. I said that, you know, that's just snobbery, really, isn't it? 
Well, it is snobbery, but it's also, um, again, I asked them, what did they know about rules? And they said they didn't know anything about rules. So I said, well, I really don't think you're fit to have a discussion about politics if you don't know about rules. Rules would tell you to imagine that you know nothing about yourself and then create the society in which you think you will thrive. So you don't know if you're black or white, old or young, rich or poor, um, you know, abled or disabled. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, on a Rawlsian test, you would never narrow the franchise because you would never know whether or not you would be the wrong side of that. Yeah, completely. It's quite a common thought pattern, though, because I remember speaking to somebody, I think this was after Brexit as well, who um, was very adamant that we should just have a dictatorship because people couldn't be trusted to vote. which told me that that person naturally assumed that a leader would think in exactly the same way they did and would therefore make choices that they liked as opposed to potentially making choices for them that they didn't. Exactly. Which is, which is why, which is why I was explaining to them that, you know, uh, I wouldn't ever do this, but, but that basically they would have a, if they voted for, if I was the only person that could vote. Yeah. They might be, they might be very surprised about the fact that their 60% income tax was going to rebuild Fountains Abbey, you know, that 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 might not be what they thought was a top spending priority. Right, right. But if, I, but if I'm making decisions, why shouldn't right. I? Yeah. Right. Um, and they were going, but no, no, no. I, 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 that also, again, in terms of understanding, and this is probably, you know, perhaps a final topic. How do we understand things across political divides? when people yeah. use different words to mean different things. Um, and how can we ensure that people are talking to each other in a, you know, because because the assumption that every decent person thinks like I do, you know, right. it, it, it's, it's, bound it's very prevalent. Be, yeah, but it's bound to be a fake assumption, isn't it? Well, it's, it's totally fake assumption. Um it's it's difficult politically as well, I think, because of and I'm not going to say that malpractice politically is a new thing because it certainly isn't. But we have had a very, very bad run. We have in politics in the West, I think, particularly the UK and the US, although yeah. Italy, it hasn't been great either. And other countries have had a tough time where there has been mass profiteering, out and out lying and total abuse of public trust. Yeah. And I think we have seen an even greater move away from a perception of a politician as someone who has a public interest at heart, as opposed to now a politician is is, is seen as a kind of a buccaneer, yeah. to be honest, who is mostly concerned with shareholder interests yeah. than the interest of the public. And that, of course, puts us in a difficult position because people are then disenfranchised and people yeah. who are disenfranchised will start to think and behave in increasingly extreme ways. But but I think the other thing, and I'm I'm becoming increasingly obsessed with this, this is my new political obsession, is we all think that we want competence, right? And I and I think competence as, as a politician, I would swap Lloyd George for all his trickery, yeah for the principled values of Theresa May any day of the week, right? Because Lloyd George was able to achieve things. Yeah. And the other thing I think that we need to be really honest about politically 
is that you could be an honest and a competent politician and still get things colossally wrong. Yes. If you look at what's happening in Germany at the moment, I think Mama Merkel will be hugely judged by history. She'll be judged as one of the most disastrous politicians Western Europe has ever ever, uh, created. And um, yet at the time, she seemed stable. She seemed competent. But perhaps because, and I think this may be it, she didn't listen to enough of her variety of voices. She made mistakes that were just ludicrous. And, you know, she, she yes. basically, someone came up to her and said, um, you know energy? And she goes, yeah, I know energy. And, and they go, well, instead of that, what we're going to do is we're going to throw a raisin sideways on a Wednesday and that will power all of German industry. And she goes, that seems like a very good idea. Yeah. And yeah. so he's completely destroyed the whole post-war German economic boom. And yeah. the impact that's going to have will be a, a really, really, you know, long lasting. But that has the uh, ability to erode the European re- Union. Uh, yeah, abso- absolutely. So now. Because, yeah, the fortunes of Germany are tied to the fortunes of the other nations. So now. I was absolutely horrified to learn that now they've decarbonized, um, Germany is producing 18% more carbon than they did before they decarbonized. Brilliant. Because they're burning the dirtiest, they're burning lignite, the dirtiest coal in the world. And they're doing that because they shut every other type of mine. (laughs) Um, Didn't allow places like, you know, places in, in, in Southern Africa who've got much more clean burning coal they didn't allow them to develop and so they now have to burn their own filthy lignite well and 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 that to me is just an example of of how you can so you need to listen there were other voices saying if we get rid of our nuclear and we entirely rely on russian gas and solar and wind can't hack it we'll get into a terrible muddle but those were not voices that were ever listened to and no i suppose that so my thing about understanding is you need to listen to what someone else is saying that you totally disagree with so that even if all it does is reassure you that you're doing the right thing oh yes and you should be able to do that without emotion yeah in yeah. most cases, of course, there are outliers. You know, if someone turned around and, and told me they were a minor attractive person, I'd still smack them straight in the face. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But it, but it, I think when it comes to kind of political things and those sorts of messages, you, you have to be able to take that on board. And I think that is a symptom of the phenomenon that we have now of the trendy voice and the not trendy voice yes and the consequences of being seen to have any time remotely for the trendy voice yeah the non-trendy voice sorry it can be quite severe like for example people i see people online in comments threads going well what did jk say that was so bad Mm. and they immediately get piled on and called a turf and it's like no they were asking a question just answer it yes tell them yeah yeah but but i i think it can be very very dangerous to someone's reputation to be even seen to consider well, the non-trendy it's, camp. It, it's interesting you say you mentioned that because I'm not going to go into details about it, but I had a 
I had what came as close to a row with a good friend of mine over the summer. Oh wow! Who that's not like mentioned you, really. who mentioned um, a, a third party, a, friend, a mutual friend of both of ours, and um, she said, of course, you know, she's she's lost the plot because she's gone in for all this gender critical thing, right? And I said, well, um, I would just like to inform you that gender critical views i said i'm not going to tell you what i think but i'm just going to tell you that gender critical views are shared by the vast majority of the human race and they are not shared by a tiny minority of wealthy white privileged people who live in some parts of western europe and a small part of of the the the, the northeastern united states and california yeah so to say this person is insane is saying the entire continents of Asia, Africa, uh, etc., are insane. And I don't think those people are insane. Um, and we had a little bit of a discussion about it. And, 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 and the interesting thing was that she was saying, well, basically, even if we have doubts, we need to jump on board with this because this is the way history's going. Oh, and I'm thinking that's the wrong reason to do it. That's the wrong yeah. reason to do it. The, the way that something's going is, is not the right reason to have a view. You should have a view because you've looked at it and gone, actually, do you know what? I don't really see what harm non-binary is going to do anyone. Yeah, exactly. That would exactly. be different. But just and, to say, oh, that's the way it's going. Everything should be open to challenge but if I we're going to get to the truth. Exactly. And I don't think I would say anybody was mad uh, for the views they had, unless they are the really the most most extreme, and this is where I I do worry about the whole echo chamber thing. But there was something else I was going to come come back to you about about these discourse, discourses and, and and this type of discussion that people are having, um, and why they feel so intensely about it. And I think one of and, and getting back to the business about yeah. how to speak to colleagues, um, I've made friends with people from work yeah over the years but i don't go to work to make friends i go to work to earn money yeah and to do whatever it is the task that we are sure because we wouldn't do it if we didn't have to right and so the understanding that i want to achieve with the people i'm working with is this working understanding and i see this in um yes in i see this in politics where politics drifts over into the space where I think religion lives, which is where these are my set of views. I don't have science to back them. Um, if you challenge them, I will weep. And I believe that you are damned if you don't share them. Now, to me, that's more of a description of a religious position right. than it is of a political. To me, a political uh, position goes something like this. I've looked I at totally the, agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, go on. So I've I've looked at the options and I would go for option C. Oh no, sorry, I was just gonna say because yeah. the, the Yeah. Yeah. The the realm of the political should be the, the, the real goal should be what is going to increase GDP. Yeah. And what is going to make the country as a whole wealthier, people are fed, are we reducing poverty, are we reducing homelessness? Yeah. Issues that don't impact that really don't belong. And I'll come back to gay marriage. Yeah. Let's say that we ban gay marriage. Yeah. 
GDP doesn't change. Economy doesn't change. Poverty not reduced. Homelessness not reduced. Child abuse not reduced. All you've done is just remove happiness from a group of people. Yeah. Also some misery because they wouldn't have had to get married. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so that, that really is irrelevant to the running of the country. And anyone who makes a campaign based on an ideology which is not going to actually improve the fortunes of anyone is someone yeah. to be very wary of. Yes. In my view. Agreed. Because it's irrelevant. The, the nation doesn't improve. Again, it's one of those things. People in same-sex relationships getting married hurts no one. Forget no. it. If you feel like it hurts you, examine your priorities. Yeah. Because I promise you they're in the wrong place. Yeah. So that that is not, again, that's the realm of the religious. And if you disagree with that, then you take yourself off somewhere different where it's not yeah. happening and that's all fine. But yeah, that, that absolutely cannot be considered a, a, a political driver because, like I say, it's it's not linked to the success factor of the nation. But I also think I also think another thing that's crucially important in all of this, and I've I've learned two new words, so maybe using them wrongly, but and so correct me if I'm wrong, and and we will encourage our listeners to um, tell me if I am, uh, you know, get in touch with us through our. I'm sure our, someone will. So, ontology is the verifiable facts that we know. And teleology is how we know that stuff. Oh, that's right? fun. So we have been a society, certainly since the Enlightenment, Enlightenment, based on ontology. So if um, providing more childcare uh, produces more ability for people to earn and the GDP goes up, something which we can experiment on yeah i mean i'm admitting that policy making is always to some extent a stab in the dark but you model and you create it based on facts as much sure. as you can teleology is saying um how do we understand about economy given that all economists are straight white men and so they have only come to this as a manifestation of their power Therefore, we cannot understand anything valuable from the work that they've done, right? So, 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 if we're focused entirely on how we know the knowledge rather than the knowledge that we know, it's extremely difficult, if not totally impossible, to make any policies because um, you can surely only use other people's money to decide something. Uh, to 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 spend on something. I mean, if we if we could prove, for example, that suicide among young men would be hugely removed if there was a zoo in every town, right? Then I would say build a zoo. If yes. we've got no information on whether or not that zoo would impact on people's mental health, I'm not really keen on paying an extra five percent income tax for a vast zoo building project, right? So. So if the question was always not what do we know about mental health and zoos, but how have we come across any information about mental health and zoos? Right. Then we can't ever make that decision about whether or not to build the zoos, can we? No. And and it gives you an interesting perspective actually on, on some of history and maybe some of the things that we have stopped doing. 
Yeah. Because is that part of the reason that we stop burning people alive and stop putting people on the rack? Yeah. Because we couldn't say why we knew to do that with any degree of reliability that yes. gave people confidence that it was the right thing to carry on doing. No, I, I think that's I think that's true. And of course, what what happened, of course, was that we had a massive um release of information, didn't yes. we? Yes. Which which led to the rise of individualism, yes, um, for good and ill, you know. Yes. Um. So, but but I think what we've got to now is we've got to people saying there are competing sets of facts, and you can choose which set of facts you want to use. And well, if, if you can choose a set of facts and what you've got are opinions. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and sometimes you, you, sometimes you talk about, um, I mean, I was, I was listening to a guy talking about climate change and, and he was talking in a very, I thought, sensible way about mitigation. Yeah. And um, he was saying, and I'm, I'm, com- I'm completely on board with this, by the way, we are very clever creatures and we're also extremely wealthy and we're likely to get wealthier um the biggest challenge he felt about climate change was making sure that the people who were most affected in you know the global south were sufficiently wealthy to mitigate right that was his that was his thing and i I think that's a really interesting that's a really it's an interesting, interesting perspective, but again, it is opinion, isn't it? And, and I think opinions can look an awful lot like facts, but that doesn't mean that they are. Yeah, but 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 so he, what he was saying is, we know what would happen if climate change, if 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 let's say two percent increase in in global temperatures, we know what that would do because scientific modelling would tell us. Yeah. yeah. But one thing that we also know is that, and he he gave the example that he'd done as a as a model. Um, of um, I can't remember was it a, a, an eight foot rise in sea level, yeah, in the North Sea, and he said, "Do you honestly think the Dutch are going to sit there and watch their country disappear, or are they going to build another dike?" Yeah, which they have right. done extremely successfully before. The technology and the money to do that already exist. Right. So, so the idea, you know, those catastrophic maps showing. You know, there won't be anything left. And there's just the top of the uh, Statue of Liberty poking out of the waves yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The day after tomorrow type scenario. He said, the Dutch have faced rising sea level before. And they've just gone out and built and put another foot on the top of their dice. They'll put another six foot on or eight foot, however much it takes. And, yeah. and the question is more whether Bangladesh can afford to do the same. Yeah. And... But 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 the problem the problem with the problem with he found, he his his theory is the problem with getting this discussion about mitigations um, started is that it is a an economic and engineering response to an emotional and religious question. Yes, people want to hear about doomsday. Yes obsessed and, with it um and and because they um because they believe in that as being you know such an important thing 
um, they will then um, not be interested in him talking about how much reinforced concrete it would take. Right. Well, it. no, that's it because it, we have this thing of the, the end times, and actually, because we've been going for two hours, so we should wrap it up. But you brought us actually onto a wonderful teaser for what I'm going to bring to you next oh, week. Oh, excellent! Which is the doomsday mother herself, Laurie Vallow, who, right. as a result of faith and mental illness and a belief in the end of the world, killed a lot of her family. Yeah. Right, and we're going to talk about a bit, a bit like Lucy Letby, not the gory details of what actually happened because that's on the internet. I yeah. want to talk about the psychological backdrop to why someone would be susceptible a to those beliefs, but also to committing extreme acts in the face of all logic. Interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Oh, I love a bit of doomsday. Oh, bit of doomsday. Don't kill your kids, though. That's bad. Well, I, I I must admit though, it's a fact. Oh dear, <laughs> the fact that should be universally acknowledged. Um, the vast majority of mass murderers defined as three or more are mothers. The overwhelming yes. majority of them. Your serial killers are absolute pussycats compared with despairing mothers, and um, I often think it's the reason why I, it's a statistic that I I do raise fairly frequently, is because people regard maternal mental health as being not a terribly important thing they yeah. do and i think postnatal depression is 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 a very serious thing that hasn't been given enough airtime and no. I, I think that we ought to really consider the implications of um trying to guilt people into become parents if they don't think that's right for them well absolutely absolutely but also um the other thing and this would be mary harrington's um uh uh, argument uh, feminism against progress she says uh, also what about the women who have a baby and are told that as soon as the placenta has been delivered they should get back to the office when they actually don't want to and that makes right. them completely all at sea because their right. body their body's telling them stay near this baby and society is telling them be a girl boss that's it that's it and i think this is where we get these concerns about people and it's very common that you hear it, that they feel that they've lost their identity after they've had a baby. Yeah. And is that because they're pressured to keep hold of an identity that isn't necessarily relevant anymore because you've stepped into another phase and that should be celebrated for what that is, as opposed to keep forcing it down people, whoa, you're not really being an entrepreneur right now, better have a breakdown. Yeah, but also, also the other thing is, what a ruddy capitalist solution to who right. you are. I mean, you know that people around here are called by the names of their houses um you know so you'd be called you know i'd be what my children were known for example as the tingali girls right yeah sure um, and that's a way of designating you as a tribe um which is obviously a very kind of tribal form of of, of saying we know who you are we know where you're from and this is who you are but if you say well i exist because i'm a chartered surveyor you know Oh, God, is that really the only thing that makes you exist? Is that how you would describe yourself if you had five words to describe yourself? You know, that would be grim. And right. so, so so, maybe that there's a question to be asked about not why, just why mothers feel degraded, so to speak, when they don't have a capitalist designation, but also uh, 
it asks a question about those capitalist designations anyway. I used to say exactly. I used to say things like I was in logistics. Because if you've got five children under ten, by God you, you really mean, are in logistics. You are in logistics. <laughs> you are. Anyway, listen. Anyway. Uh, it's been lovely to to meet with you, AD, and we'll be back again soon. Yes. Loved every minute. Good to have you back, Mum. Cheers, my dear. Love you. Bye. Bye bye.